Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this week's episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud to get it automatically. You can catch the show on the Stitcher app as well. Like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. Email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com. And follow me on Twitter at MyFirstSketch. Philly Sketch Fest is going to be here before you know it. May 31st through June 3rd. Applications to submit your act are open, and I've made it easy for you. Go to myfirstsketch.com slash apply, which will redirect you to the submission page. To submit a short video for the third annual film festival, go to myfirstsketch.com slash film. Or if you're interested in volunteering and helping out, go to myfirstsketch.com slash volunteer. We've got some cool things in the work this year, and for more information about all things Philly Sketch Fest, head to phillysketchfest.com. Philly Sketch Fest is also proud to be a sponsor of the Bechtel Test Fest, which will take place March 2nd at Bourbon and Branch, March 3rd at Fringe Arts, and March 4th at the Philly Improv Theater, respectively. The lineup, tickets, and more information can be found at bechtelfest.com. But today's guest is Carolyn Beatty, currently a member of the Decoy and the 19th. Her first sketch is a desk piece similar to what you would see on Weekend Update. It was written and performed for the University of Delaware sketch comedy show called The Bi-Weekly Show. Carolyn reads the role of Paula. I read Vicky and the host of the program, which I'll admit gets a little confusing. But I found the video of the sketch when it was on The Bi-Weekly Show, and the video is embedded over at MyFirstSketch.com. So let's go to the sketch. Tonight we have with us Vicky and Paula, two fashion majors here at UD who are going to help us survive the season change. Welcome, ladies. We are so happy to be here to talk about one of the most critical components of the human existence. Oh, Paula, get it, girl. Yeah, you know we're talking about fall, fall fashion. fashion. I love that you love the fall as much as I do. So, this fall is all about dressing down. Up. Paula, what are you talking about? How can you possibly want to bundle up in the heat, in this heat? I'm sweating. Woo! The weather is getting colder, and obviously the colder it gets outside, the more clothes you're going to need if you're going to brave those Arctic temperatures of the mid-60s. Paula, no. This temperature is perfect for one thing. Showing some skin. Hashtag Dage season. The less clothes you wear, the better you're going to feel. Like a freshly skinned baby sheep. Everyone knows fall is about feeling like a baby burrito fetus in a cuddly, cozy womb blanket. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you girls even saying? Where did the sun go? You want to feel like if a bunny was wrapped in a down comforter and put on top of a space heater inside of a conventional oven. Interesting analogy. Do you think you could both come to consensus and offer some specific suggestions for what articles of clothing are most popular during fall? Of course, Alicia, the ultimate fall outfit, the ultimate fall outfit is crop tops, high-waisted booty shorts, sandals, and sock buns. You can also definitely plan on seeing some muscle ta- muscle bro tanks and shorts. Obviously not jorts, but something to show off those man calves. Okay, no. What you will actually be seeing chicks wearing around campus is leggings, oversized sweaters, scarves, and boots. And the fellows will surely be rocking some button-ups, jeans, or pastel-colored pants with embroidered sailboats or martini glasses. Um, Probably a sweater vest or something. You guys really seem to be on the same page. Another trend to look for is maxi skirts. Mini skirts. Maxi skirts are cute and practical for fall weather. Mini skirts are cute and practical for fall weather. You can wear them with a sweater, long sleeve shirt, or a cute tank. Yes, thank you. But instead of a tank, but instead a tank top with Except if it's cold outside, if it's cold enough outside that you need to wear a maxi skirt, you definitely would not also be wearing a tank top. Well, I'm lost. Like no, that's not a thing. That is not okay. That would be like wearing an oversized sweater with shorts. It's just not happening. I mean, really, it is way too cold outside to be mixing and matching summer and winter trends that way. Come on, people. I think you mean too hot. 
but you are so right. We totally get each other. Oh, girl, you know it. And I know you're going to love this other fashion trend. Give it to me, sister. Of course, every single outfit will be topped off with a pumpkin triple dip mocha caramel swirl latte in hand. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Great. Finally, something you can agree on. Hot Hot coffee. coffee. Okay, well, I think I speak for everyone when I say you two did not clearly clear anything up. So I'm going to have to declare that everyone try this revolutionary new method of stepping outside before getting dressed to see what the weather is like that day before making any irrational clothing decisions. Hey, Carolyn. Hey. All right. So tell me about this sketch. Where did this come from? Where did you write it? Why did you write it? All that. Um, so I had just joined a sketch comedy TV show in college. Uh, I went to my, like the first pitch meeting. What year in college would this be? Oh, I was a fall of my junior year. Um, uh, so I went to my first pitch meeting and on the walk there, I noticed that everyone on campus was wearing like drastically different outfits and Mm -hmm. it was like in the sixties, it was in September, uh, and I was like, oh, that's funny yeah, that, like, that I'm bundled up and there are girls still wearing, like, booty shorts. When I when I was growing up, like, I don't know if it was, like, my mom's ruler or whatever, but, like, the threshold to, to be allowed to wear shorts was 70 degrees. So after the summer, once that, like, went right back down under, like, you know, it was, it was an autumn, but it felt so much colder, be, you know, so, like, I totally understand where this is coming from, like, that drastic difference between hot summer to slightly less hot you know yeah those first couple weeks of october yeah what do you wear yeah everyone wears different things and i was like oh i don't know anything about comedy i've never (laughs) taken any sort of uh writing or improv class but that's gotta be something Mm -hmm. worth exploring so i pitched it uh and they liked it and they were like oh we're gonna do this as a segment so the way that the show worked was it was basically a hybrid of like digital shorts and weekend update. Okay. Uh, so we started off the show with some like topical desk mm-hmm. jokes, uh, weekend update style, and then we would intersperse digital shorts throughout and then just have like guest characters come on. So okay. that's what this was chosen as a live segment. So the next question I have is is this available online? Like, is it recent enough that oh, the college video like would have started like being uploaded to YouTube or Vimeo? Yeah, I think the full episode is on Vimeo. I know that we had it's called the Biweekly Show. Bi-weekly show. Um, actually, Emily Kinslow, who's also on the decoy with me, we met okay before doing that show, and I roped her into doing it with me. Okay. Um, but I know that they have a YouTube channel for all of those like digital clips mm-hmm. uh but i think that the full episodes are on vimeo okay oh so if you're interested I'll go in, digging. in taking a full <laughs> 30 minutes out of your life to check out some really crazy college humor uh it I'll, should be i'll there. go digging because i do it with smash too when i talk to people that have done smash so I'll find it. It's definitely not <laughs> of the same caliber of, as Smash. Oh. So what's interesting to me is uh, when I've talked to people who have done Temple Smash, mm-hmm. they do two episodes a semester. Yeah. Uh, and we did an episode every other week. Okay. Because that's another thing I think that different colleges have. You know, like I was more in high school and college. I more wrote for the papers. And I know that there's some schools that do like a daily newspaper or oh. even a like a weekly and i think the one i did in college was like bi-weekly or you know every two weeks and like even but i've heard of like daily ones i was like how do you do a daily newspaper at a college like with, with all the other stuff that's going on yeah so what's the difference between well you don't necessarily know the difference but what was it like working on a bi-weekly show like that i loved it it taught me like every that was my boot camp essentially sure. in comedy writing um and we all just like learned it on the fly Mm -hmm. uh oh my god so many takeaways from it like time management um because we had less than two weeks to put an entire show together which involved uh four I think it was like four 
of those digital shorts that we would do. So every every show. Oh my gosh. Um, so planning, producing those, uh, filming it, figuring out who could be in it, mm-hmm. uh, what we could get in terms of sets, costumes, locations, that sort of stuff on such a whim. So if you go back, a lot of what you see is just humor based on the University of Delaware because that's, that's where we went to school in. and yeah. that that was um, the target audience even it was the target audience and it was also just obviously the easiest location mm-hmm. to plan for for videos because that's where we were and also to be fair you are a college student so oh yeah what else like that's what you know like yeah all the jokes were just about like uh so dage season was what we call okay, yeah, day like, drinking uh, okay daging because it's uh raging during the day Ugh. So like all of the humor was that and frat parties yeah. and just which is fine. It's it's a part of the time. It's part of you know. Yeah, and like people who would come sit in our live studio audience were mostly my drunk friends, so they loved it. <laughs> um, okay, so why why did you join? Junior year, you you know you're done two years of college. What makes it what makes it click to go to junior year and do it? So I've done musical theater primarily for about oh my god 15 years maybe okay and I had a really strong background in acting I was an acting minor in college took acting classes um so really had a strong interest already in performing arts and realized realized in high school but like had an epiphany moment my sophomore year of college that I only get cast as the funny person in these shows and I love it. And it's so much fun. Uh, And of course, like in a a dream world where I have a totally different voice that doesn't sound like this when I'm speaking, I'm on Broadway. Right. Like you wouldn't be necessarily be cast as Sandy in Greece. You would be, um, I think Jan's the funny one. Yeah. Of the pink ladies. Right. Mm -hmm. Or the, the evil sisters in Cinderella, you know, like, yeah, I'm no Cinderella. I'm trying to think of like all like the different, like, uh, female comic relief roles. Yeah. Um, Gilmer in Godspell. Mm-hmm. I'm out. That's I don't a, think I would I'm be of... uh, in Les Mis. I don't think I would be Madame Thenardier, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm certainly no Eponine. <laughs> um, so had this epiphany of, oh, I'm, I'm only getting cast in funny parts. I auditioned for Crazy for You my sophomore year of college. I really wanted that lead part, and I really thought I could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that vocally I could pull it off. It wouldn't be the most fantastic, but it's a dance-heavy part, and I know I can dance, okay. and I know I can act. Yeah. Um, and didn't get that part. Got cast as the comedic relief role, mm-hmm. which I hated, and that was my like most miserable I don't think I know that show. that show. So It's okay. It's not a great show. <laughs> Um, I was well, like, a like a very British explorer. I think it's or just so maybe old. Just, maybe, okay. Okay. That's, uh, that was the next question. I was like, yeah, where is it within this? My it was like Gershwin okay. Okay, piece. So, um, so I wouldn't have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So probably most people listening to this <laughs> are not going to know it, but yeah, that's it, fine. If You're it not was written anything. before like Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell, I'm completely out of much, yeah. much earlier than that. I don't know what any of those are. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you get you're the the funny person in the musicals so that leads you to switch to yeah so then i realized oh if i'm only getting cast in these funny parts which are all small parts mm-hmm. in musicals why don't i try to pursue something that allows me to be a funny part but have a bigger role yeah uh pretty narcissistic of me but, but at the same time like self-preservation what you want to do yeah when you're putting in that much work for a musical musicals are a lot of work yeah you you want to be able to showcase what you can Mm do absolutely um so i auditioned for both of the improv groups on campus they were uh, okay university (laughs) of delaware so i'm assuming it's a pretty big school Mm -hmm. but like you say both like wow there's multiple improv groups on the campus too that's crazy to me um yeah, auditioned for both of them. Made it to like the final round of auditions for both, <laughs> and then also multiple rounds of auditions for a college improv is also a little crazy to me. But hilarious! <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Again, had never done improv at this point. I was just like, oh, I'm gonna blindly go audition. But you, you know, you have had 
theatrical training doing stuff throughout high school and everything so right so I was like that experience fine. will transfer uh and then was too, I was told that I was too old to be in the improv groups and that's why I didn't make it you were too old to be in a college improv group they wanted freshmen they wanted that they could that cultivate could... and be in it all four years so oh gross you're graduating next year mm-hmm. Ugh. I didn't like that. Whatever. So at the ripe age of 20, I got my first taste of ageism <laughs> in the entertainment industry. <laughs> That's so stupid, but I'm laughing so hard. Oh, it's That's so awful. dumb. It's so dumb. Um, but it it's fine. It was ultimately a blessing because after that, um, a girl that was in my acting class uh, after class one day was like, oh, I am the executive producer of this sketch show on campus um you should come join us Mm -hmm. she singled me out because uh, as a project in that class we each had to get up and perform like a two-minute monologue and every person in the class did a dramatic monologue except for myself and her so she was like oh you're funny you should come join this show it's funny because i did the exact opposite thing i I was a, a film student uh for you know two and a half years or so and in our first digital production class everyone did comedies and i was the sole direct dramatic one and i just like it was awful it like the mood of the room went like to hell in a minute it was just so bizarre to me like like, drama's hard it it is hard and uh like it was right when the office had come out like mockumentaries became a thing so there were like five mockumentaries and then me like with my (laughs) sad sack story and then right back up to mockumentaries it's just not a uh, great night for me yeah that's the inverse of my experience absolutely um all right so college sketch Mm -hmm. you do it for the rest of the time that you're at school yeah so I pitched my that terrible sketch that we read it's not terrible they loved it it's a first sketch it was I was an English major and I was like oh I'll just do a lot of analogies Mm -hmm. and that's what's gonna be funny um they loved it they loved me Mm -hmm. because I'm uh this is gonna sound narcissistic (laughs) I'm easy to work with okay and I know that about myself that's not a like, if you said, like, oh, because I'm awesome, like, that's no. easy to work with is not necessarily narcissistic. Yeah, okay. I'll take it. That's not a humble brag. That's not <laughs> a brag. That's fine. I'm okay it, with it. It is just a fact. Um, and they really liked that because most of the people, oh, God, I hope no one's listening that's from the show. Most of the people on that show are not easy to work with. I'll post it in whatever University of Delaware alumni group. <laughs> like. Oh, I will, too. Um, but, and... The people who are good on that show, I think, know that they're good and easy mm-hmm. to work with and take criticism and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the executive producers that year really liked me and pretty much every episode picked a pitch of mine to okay. either be uh, one of, we called it packages, those uh, digital shorts, or to be a segment. More often than not, I, my pitch was chosen to be a segment because most people were not comfortable live at the desk. Okay. And as someone who at that point was already, already like eight years into yeah. her theater background, I was like, okay, I'll yeah. take what I can get. Um, so got a lot of experience. And at the end of my junior year, the executive producers asked myself and one of my very good friends, if we would be executive producers, our senior year, oh, fancy, very fancy. We were both taken aback and both, seriously thought about saying no and I think we're the only two people like in the history of that show that weren't clawing our way into those positions Hmm. and like seriously considered saying no now I'm picturing like there's other people that were like backstabbing you trying to when you were asked like oh I don't know if it happened my year I'm assuming it did but I've seen other years Mm. subsequent to that that uh there's drama around who gets to be executive producer Oh, I think there's drama with everything. So There is drama with Why everything. wouldn't there be drama with college comedy? I don't know. And honestly, executive producer is not a glamorous title. No, it's more work. It's so much work. That's all Every it is. Every other work. Monday, I was awake until 4 o'clock in the morning, and I am a terrible planner, so I had a 9 o'clock class, <laughs> so I got about three hours of sleep. Um, but it was great, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, and I learned so, so, so much about just so many different things from being thrown into that. Okay. That, that's just crazy to me. Um, so before we move on to the forward, let's go back. Uh, what were your comedy memories as a kid? Like, I mean, you mentioned doing theater. What were you into? What made you laugh growing up? Saturday Night Live. How, like, how early, <laughs> how early do you start with Saturday Night Live? Oh, I think 
The earliest I remember is, I don't remember what grade I was in, but I remember boys in school talking about, Mm -hmm. this mathematically can't make sense. Will Ferrell? He was on way too early for that to make sense. Will Ferrell joined the class in 95. He was 95 through 2002, I want to say. So maybe that checks out because I think I was in, it might have been his last season. I think I was in the third grade. Whoa, no, hold on. Third grade in 2001? 2002? I was in second grade in 2001. I was in second grade. Are you grade. like 14? How like? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I knew you were younger than me, but I wasn't like, the math of all that's now really annoying me. Oh, I'm so sorry. What, like, how are you? I'm, I just turned 25. Okay. So like. So I'm not really that young. Third, third, wait, that doesn't feel right mathematically. That's, so what is that? Eight. Oh, wait, 2001, I was in third grade. Ugh, that's still... You were born in 90... For sure. I was, I was, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that... I was in first grade when we uh, gained a new millennium. Oh, my nothing God. to me okay. at the time. When, like, it doesn't seem to be, much, you know, like, I'm 32. I just turned 32. And now that doesn't seem like a big thing. But when you put it in the terms of that, like... Oh, you, huge. You were in third grade, and I was, like, in... 10th or 11th like okay yeah. mathematically that doesn't make sense now but like <laughs> it, it's a very odd uh, okay <laughs> it's it's just a weird thing okay yeah. all right so will ferrell 2001 ish mm-hmm. and the cute boys in my class were talking about it in third <laughs> the cute boys in third grade okay <laughs> everyone's cute in third right. grade oh yeah okay <laughs> you haven't seen every kid uh all right so you're, you start watching mm-hmm is this like your first like, oh, this is, th- were you getting it? I was getting like the dumb, sure. really over the top physical mm. humor. You weren't necessarily understanding like, you know, the political intrigue no. sketches. But no, like, not until high school, yeah. I would okay. say. Um, but my parents both loved Saturday Night Live. Mm. So it was really a coming of age thing for me, I think, to be able to start watching it live with them. <laughs> when in third grade, like... No, no, no. That probably (laughs) wasn't until like sixth grade. Um, I would just like try to catch reruns Mm -hmm. in yeah from third through and then early two thousands. They were all over County Central by that point. So yeah, it was everywhere. So it was pretty easy to catch episodes in rerun form. And they weren't like necessarily going all the way back to the beginning. They were showing the last five years if I yeah. remember if I remember correctly so yeah you know not totally far or fashion weird but like that that's your first like instinct of like oh people this is funny like in third grade like I just uh, like that was like oh these are weird people being funny on tv like how- yeah I think that it also struck a chord with me because I was very much raised going to the theater okay so watching saturday night live felt like a televised version mm-hmm. of that so i think that i could gauge that essence sure. of the live performance and that was what was really my immediate instinct to think it was really enjoyable because it it just made sense to me yeah compared to i mean like sitcoms are kind of that way but you can tell that there are takes and that they're, they're stylized and laughter yeah. like you know, it is rooted in the old vaudeville theater thing, but and I certainly liked sitcoms as well. But I think Saturday Night Live always felt, and this is hilarious now, but it always felt tangible to me. Like, oh, that's a thing that that I have mm-hmm. seen before because sure. they're doing it live, so I see it at the theater, um, and like that's a thing that I can do because I started going to like theater summer camp. Um. As a theater kid, we'll, call it, we'll go that way. We'll just completely reduce it down to that. Um, growing up, do you have a particular jam, like a particular show that you love, that like, um, that you loved doing, that you loved seeing? You know, your what's your favorite musical? What's your favorite? Oh my gosh, what a tough question. Yeah. Um, I ask the tough ones. <laughs> the well, my earliest obsession was. Mary Poppins, the movie with okay. Julie Andrews. I would dress up and walk around my house singing those songs mm-hmm. that I had no idea what they meant. And um, I would select family members of mine to join in and participate. Okay. Um, so I had assigned roles essentially to everyone in my family. So 
my dad was the Bert to my Mary Poppins. Okay. I, at like, there's home videos of me at three years old, making him like <laughs> hold my hand and walk me around the house with an umbrella open in the house. And That's adorable. I can barely speak, but I'm singing these Mary Poppins songs. Hmm. And I would do the same for Beauty and the Beast, even though that was only a cartoon. I had the full bell costume and I had okay. a very specific prop book and a very specific prop <laughs> basket. And I would walk around. And by the way, most little girls who are obsessed with Beauty and the Beast and dress up in the costume, they wear like the beautiful yellow ball gown. You went to the... I went to the like blue frock <laughs> sure, she starts the movie right, in. Right, absolutely. Because I, I definitely know that like the Disney store sells that yellow gown. They might not necessarily sell... They do not. The first act bell costume. First act bell costume, my next door neighbors bought for me. They went to Disney World every year, and every year they would have to buy me like the next size up because I was growing, but refused to take that off. <laughs> they just had to like rotate out the next size. And yeah. That's that's sweet, I guess. Uh, but the like, but those aren't the live shows. Because like, I mean, they're live shows now, but... They were live in my household when I was walking around. I was about to say, but you're also then. 10 years... So Mary Poppins was definitely went to... Yeah, you, know, you probably did see Mary Poppins and Beauty and the Beast on stage. I, I did see Beauty and the Beast. I was when you were very, too, so. very, very young. Uh, and I, of course, wore my bell dress <laughs> to go see it and was did, obsessed. Did you see any other girls in the audience wearing bell dresses? Honestly, that I don't remember. remember. I think I was like maybe four. Okay, so it's... Maybe even younger because I don't remember if we had my brother yet. Oh, um, But I remember like vaguely walking down the streets of Philadelphia in my bell dress like yeah I am <laughs> rocking this um I ask everybody favorite center life cast member all time historically currently it's a really tough question I ask because er- two come to mind for okay, different we can do reasons multiples. We can, that's fine Kristen Wiig okay f- because she's a brilliant performer mm-hmm. and I love every character she's ever done but um, I just respect Tina Fey more than any other yeah. human in I, the I world. Think, <laughs> I think Tina Fey, because Tina doesn't wasn't on camera. Like when she was on camera, it was just update. You know, when she was a cast member, she was just update. Mm-hmm. When she comes back to host, she does you know sketches. When she shows up randomly, she just sketches. Yeah, she would and show I, up randomly, but her brain and knowing that she is, you know, she was the head writer. And like a driving force, like, and one of the problems I have is I don't. Uh, apparently, other people can tell what sketches written by whom. Right after it airs, and I don't know that. So like, when everyone someone's like, "Oh, that was so and so sketch," I was like, "You're you're lying. You make that like, yeah, you can't tell that that's who you it shouldn't is. in a good show. In my opinion, you shouldn't be able to tell really who, who wrote something. Okay, we can talk about that for a little bit. Um, so you don't necessarily think. Okay, we'll we'll say it this way. I go to a decoy show mm-hmm. and I can tell, oh, that's a decoy sketch. Or even like if they did if you guys if we did like a sketch hangover show or a theme show or whatever where there's multiple groups, without being inter- like I could tell a decoy show a decoy sketch versus Fezzy Wig or Goat Rodeo or the Edelmans. I think that's but, gonna be a um a, a more tough But necessarily Within a decoy set, correct. You don't think I should be able to tell the difference between your first draft and Molly's? No. Okay. Why? Because I think f- I'm someone who is so team oriented, and to me, the point of being on a sketch team is to be a unit mm-hmm. and to be able to collaborate and. If you're truly serving the team and the show, I don't think you should be able to tell that strongly that there's a difference hmm. in who wrote what. Okay. I'm just trying to think because, like, you know, when I see a Secret Pants show, I, I I can tell the difference between a Brian Kelly and Brian. Like, like I, I do think that there is a you can serve the team but still have your own voice within the team and hmm now i'm perplexed now i want to see a, a now i want to see a, a decoy show and try to pick out who wrote what good luck <laughs> <laughs> and i think that will be my game for the next one okay you might struggle <laughs> um 
And I and yeah, that's not to say that I don't think writers should have their own voice. Right. But I think the voice should just be a little bit more toned down by the final draft because sure. in the interest it, of serving the team and truly collaborating. If you're in a proper collaborative writer's room, the act of killing one of the jokes that you might love because someone else pitched another better joke or something that works better for the story of the of the sketch. That's, you know, a perfectly collaborative, proper use of that time. Right. And that's not for everyone, and that doesn't work for every sketch team. But uh, that's what I'm most interested in. And those are the people that I'm most interested in working with are the people who um, aren't, like, super precious about their own writing and for the good of the show or for the good of the group are willing to ditch an entire sketch that won't work, a joke that won't work, uh anything at all that's not serving mm. the sketch or the sure. show fully sure okay so let's fast forward uh university of delaware you're de- you you executive produce the show your senior year you graduate what's next for you i graduated and i moved home which was only an hour from campus and uh just about a half hour from here in south jersey okay and um, recognized immediately that I needed to fill that void. Mm. So, dur- uh, no, it wasn't during my senior year. I think it was the summer in between my junior and senior year after I had started doing biweekly. Yeah. I remembered that fit existed because I actually interned there my freshman year of college. How did th- Is that just how you found out about fit? Just because you interned there? Like yeah. there wasn't anything? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I remembered that that existed and looked into classes, saw that they offered sketch writing classes mm-hmm. and thought to myself, if I'm going to be executive producer, I want to at least have some real understanding of how this works and not just continue to go off of my instinct about comedy. Okay. Um, so took sketch writing that uh, was summer of 2012. No. Yeah. Summer of 2014. Another one of those year things are just like, Oh no. <laughs> all right. Uh, so who do you take? All right. So before your senior year, summer 2014, you take sketch one one with who? Joe Moore. Okay. Fantastic. Who else? Was there anyone else in that class that is? Oh boy. Was there Uh Courtney painter? Okay. Jolie Darrow. Okay. So you were in Jack O'Keefe. That class. And a precious old woman whose name was Riza, <laughs> who just wrote the funniest things. Like, Funny, good, or funny, not how she intended them. Right. Okay. Um. Because that's in my experience as well. Is yeah. Uh, she was she was interesting. Um. So it was a a really kick ass class mm-hmm. of humans, and Joe Moore is just the best. Mm-hmm. Um. He's alright. <laughs> so took that class, went back to college. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, all of the aforementioned folks except Riza have like blossomed in the fit community right okay so so you take the class and then mm-hmm. you basically disappear yeah um while you know jack Courtney, like they're all doing iron sketch they're meeting people iron sketch grows i'm not gonna say like iron sketch grows into you know barbara bush but barbara bush starts happening yeah jack's doing everything he can whenever he can mm-hmm. um reza i don't whatever she's doing yeah, <laughs> miss her every day. <laughs> um, but you have to go back to college and executive produce a, a show, yeah. which is—I mean—you're still doing stuff and you're still gaining, gaining experience, but it's an, an entirely different type of experience and almost on an island compared to what everyone else is doing in Philadelphia. Like for sure. Um, so you come back after graduate. You come back after graduating. What's your next step after graduating? Or you know, to reintroduce yourself into the community. I challenged myself to start taking improv classes. Okay. At this point, I'm like, I get, I get what sketches. I get my own personal philosophies on it. I know mm-hmm. that there's still room to grow, but I don't want to take sketch 201 until I've gotten through the improv curriculum. So I kind of dangled that in front of myself as a, okay. your reward for doing improv at fit will be to be able to take the next level of sketch class. Why? Because I love sketch and it made sense to me and I was, there was just something about it in my head that was like, okay, I graduated college. I need to force myself to try something new okay. and that's going to be improv, but I'll know that I have the safety net at the end of it all. So if I 
I'll end up hating improv. I want to get through the whole curriculum because I want to learn what that's all about, but I'll be able to come back to sketch. All right, so let's do the, the rundown. Improv 101. Who was your instructor? Corinne Wells. Two? David Danella. Three? Mike Marbeck. Four? Kristen Shear. Have you done the conservatory? No. Okay. So, and then you, did you do 201 in sketch? Yes. Uh, I've taken that twice now. With whom and when? I took it with Paul Trigiani the last time he taught a sketch 201 class. So, I, I, I'm going to say that's the, the time after me then. Mm-hmm. Like, it would have been... Uh, it would have been like the winter of 16? Yeah, that like sounds right. Winter, spring, 16-ish? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's still... <laughs> um, Ugh, dates. Uh, I know. And then but you did it again with... The very first... So they the, shut down the sketch they 201 curriculum. The, yeah. And then took it again the first time they offered 201 again... This had to be like nine months later, and I took it with Matt Schmid. Okay. Okay. Um, how was the differences between the two 201s? I loved it the first time I took it. Right. Because we were writing a vastly different type of sketch every single week. Every like, And this is – I took 101 with Brian Kelly, and then I took 201 – well, like, and this is five or six years ago. Maybe even seven, as we're getting close to it. Uh, I took 101 with Brian seven years ago, and I took 201 with Paul six years ago in 2012-ish. And I always thought that, like, uh, 101 is a welcome mat. Like, we're just, like, you know, learning the basics, kind of nice. Like, oh, you did it. Cool. Good job. Yeah. 201, Paul cuts and just cuts. Boot camp. And it's straight editing, straight make it better. Like, and I think that's a very good difference. Yes. Is that still like, did you have that same uh, similar, uh, a similar experience with Matt Schmidt too? Or no, because of the change they, in the curriculum? They revamped the entire curriculum. So I'm not sure what they do in 101 anymore because I haven't taken that mm-hmm. class again. But essentially, what we did in 201 when I took it with Matt was a version of when I took 101 with Joe Moore. Yeah. And it was nice to go back to the basics in that way. And I don't mean to minimize what they're teaching in 201 because um, it's very important. And they do get a lot of students going through the sketch program that have genuinely never done sketch before. But at the point where I took that, right. I it, was... It is a step back between... The, yeah, yeah. I had taken 101 and 201. I had executive produced for two years. I was already on the decoy. Yeah. And... For sure. And there was just a part of me that was like, okay, I, I know what a fish out of water right. sketch and is. I think I, I think I had the same experience when I heard about this whole thing. So like, and someone was explaining like how the new uh, layout happens. So I was like, do I just skip to four or five? Like, yeah. Cause 301s, I've already done the 301 theoretically. Like, yeah. So. And I think it's, I think it's a smart move for genuinely new sketch students, yeah. but for People who do there, have like a there random is a, amount there of There is a generation mm-hmm. that is kind of lost or is going to jump a step. Like, yeah. For sure. Um, and that this is not a reflection of Matt as a teacher at all. He was fantastic. Um, just the curriculum itself. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did it, but. Yeah. Um, so you had already taken. So why redo it when you're already on the decoy? Because I like constantly going back and and being reminded of muscles that need to be constantly worked because when I'm writing for decoy, I'm, I'm not necessarily sitting down and thinking like, okay, well this idea I had for this premise is kind of fish out of water. So like what are typical fish out of water tropes that go along with that specific type of sketch? And have I hit all my beats in this sketch? And I'm, I'm just not thinking about it Mm. in that broken down way so I like I do genuinely like taking those classes and being reminded that that's really what you're building yeah, on. there is occasionally some good in reminding yourself of the formulas and the structures that we've set that are you know um almost universal in sketch comedy so that you can you know 
think of new ways to break those rules. And exactly. You got to know the, the rules to break the rules. And uh, for me, I'm not going to sit down and like go back through my notes of the first time I took 101 mm. because I'm lazy and like <laughs> being around people too much. So I'm like, oh, I'll just jump back into that class yeah. and force myself to write in this very specific and rigid way mm. that I'm not necessarily doing when I approach writing with the decoy or the 19th. Yeah. Because at that point, I know those rules and I know my style, but... You have to come from somewhere. Um, getting onto the decoy. And like, what else are you doing at Fit before decoy happens? Like, you know, you were a person that I had seen a lot doing, you know, the volunteer work and house managing. Um, were you performing much before decoy, like in the Fit sphere? Yes and no. Because I was a volunteer and pretty friendly, I would get asked to play in on shows like superhuman horse mm -hmm. um and tom's so great about making students feel welcome mm -hmm. on that show um i tried to do theme show as often as i possibly could uh emily kinslow and i were like we need something to do so let's sit Absolutely. down together write a sketch and do it on theme show um i would go to dean's list i would i, I Something about the jam never stuck with me, so I didn't really make a point to go to that, although I might have if that, that was happening on Sundays mm -hmm. back then like it is now. Um, I would go to SketchUp pretty often, even if I didn't have anything yeah. to be read, just to see what other people were working on. Um, I think that was it. I was just trying to like find those opportunities for shows that fits like hey we want anyone to come do this and mm. try to jump on those and did, then from did you there, ever do an iron sketch when iron sketch didn't exist by the time i was like back it was in already the fit gone scene. again okay yeah which i'm super bummed about because i would have loved to do that yeah me too i did up all night once okay and that was fantastic yeah that's a it's a very different experience of like and i don't know i've done it twice in various with you know um but it's there's very much a difference of let's write this and get it done and get we have 24 hours let's do it instead which is of the style i am used to from right, putting a show together every other to, week yeah um so for me i was like here we go baby this <laughs> right. is my bread and butter <laughs> i'm like jump right helping in. other people that i've seen on stage because i had a stacked cast and i'm helping these people that i've seen perform on stage mm. who are like oh i really just need to land this joke and i'm like here's what you need like this is where <laughs> i'm thriving uh so that was a great experience and very shortly after that got cast on the decoy okay so do you remember what you submitted to the decoy or at least, you know, a couple of sketches that you... I, I know in. I submitted two sketches and a monologue. Mm -hmm. um, for sure, I remember one of the sketches I had written for Paul Triggs 201. And it was... Oh, it was a couple in a restaurant. And uh, the one of them couldn't, like, get through any decision-making without having to call their mom yeah. uh so like the second the the menus are brought out the person's like oh i need to call my mom for help with this okay. um and it was just like my hot take on millennials needing help from their moms <laughs> which i am totally subject to yeah um everyone calls their moms but i tried to just like play that up in this way mm -hmm. that made it really apparent that this is a thing that we all do more than we should by making this character do it yeah. every 10 seconds. Um, the start of the decoy kind of overlaps with the start of me doing the podcast. And I talked to a couple of the members of the decoy. Yeah, a couple of members of the decoy pretty early on. And one of the things that they told me was that uh, your director, Brian, would ask for pitches and then assign those pitches to other people to write. Yeah, that was how for, we approached the for first at least the, yeah, show. For, and, and that's just like... A memory of talking to uh, Dan or uh, Annie back then, mm -hmm. a while ago, and I couldn't wrap my head around that. I loved it. Okay, explain. <laughs> well, I mean, explain your your process of going to that um, way of writing the show, like because you know, 
I mentioned that I had a pitch, I had an idea, you know, and I could see it pretty clearly. So if someone else took it and did something different than me, like I would feel weird about it. Sure. Even if it was funny or good, like it would still, it's still like, it's not how I saw it, you know? Yeah. um, So what was your experience in that kind of the first couple decoy shows of... It was great because it took the pressure off. What I found very quickly is that we are a team full of people who have great ideas and we're great writers, but that's not necessarily like we, we seem to struggle with writing a good sketch that was our own idea. Okay. Um, and I think for, for me at least, it's just the pressure of like, okay, I came up with this funny thing, but now when I sit down to write it, I'm mm. thinking way too much about it. And like, is this exactly how I saw it going when I sat down to write it? But if I can just throw a crazy idea at the wall and someone else will be there to pick it up sure. and write yeah. a draft of it, it's always going to be better than how I pictured it. Just, I think for the sheer enjoyment of not having that pressure when I'm sitting Mm. down to write and when I'm taking someone else's knowing that I can do with this pitch whatever my brain thinks of Mm. and it's going to go over great for the team and we've adapted our writing style knowing that we've we've tried out different things along the way just kind of finding ourselves and what works best for us but I think that that was a really strong way for the team to approach that first show Um, and then the other project that you, oh, not the other, but like another project that I know that you have, or I, I guess it's still active, uh, the 19th. Mm-hmm. Where does that grow out of? Because a, a lot of the members of the 19th are on the decoy. Yeah. And like, I'm always, I'm always confused or interested about like the little splinter groups that kind of like grow out of other projects. Yeah. So uh, I started doing the decoy and... The decoy performs like every four months. And again, this is just going back to me being so used to doing a show every other week. It's just not often enough. So I had gotten pretty close to Gab Tom from working at the theater and kind of, we never took a class together, but we kind of came up around the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew she was doing sketch stuff. So I reached out to her and was like, hey, we should try something together and just see how it goes and in my head it was just something like doing theme show or Mm -hmm. just like trying starting with a sketch seeing how we work together and going from there and gab was like oh absolutely i'm so into this idea i know my friend shannon fahey would also be super into having this new project Mm -hmm. like are you cool if i reach out to her and see if she's interested i said yeah absolutely I think Molly would also be totally on board for this. Uh, Let me reach out to her. Um, And everyone said, yeah. And we just, we were all friends already. Um, So we obviously just jived right away. Mm -hmm. And our collective styles of writing and how we approach our comedy and our sketch specifically all just worked beautifully together. So it's, it's been a pretty harmonious process, even though we're not, performing as frequently as I'm sure we would all like to um every time we sit down and write a new show or even just one new sketch it works out pretty well Mm. are you guys still active now that Gab's in Chicago yeah we're going to be performing in the Bechdel test Mm. fest just the the, the remaining three of you just the three of us um we had talked about possibly uh revamping the set that we did at Black Friday in Mm. a way that would still allow Gab to be a part of it but she would just do video parts sure. remotely and we would showcase that um we're very much still trying to keep gab in the group in in creative yeah, she ways can still like be that. right like you know we're in a world where you know facetime and skyping and yeah totally. google docs just because she's not on stage doesn't mean she's necessarily not a part of it anymore exactly um like and this isn't me trying to blow blow smoke or uh the first 19th show that i saw the, you know the first one you guys did mm-hmm that last sketch uh the i don't know what you guys call it. it's like every time a male every time a male is referenced a buzzer goes off and you have to like switch it up yeah it's us trying to pass the bechdel Bechdel fest the bechdel test uh that sketch just blows my mind just how fast and how quick you guys like i keep saying you guys and that's just that's so stupid too uh (laughs) (laughs) uh like 
when I caught what you guys. Oh, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> when I caught what you were doing, and then just how quickly it started happening, like I was like, "This is fantastic." This is, and it was probably one of my favorite sketches of that year. Like, just because it's just so humorous and, and insightful, and I think the one like just Jesus Christ, yeah. like, just <laughs> killed me. So, oh, thanks. Uh, so that yeah, I mean, for a, a debut show of a new group, the nineteenth, I think, had a really good showing. Which you don't even even if people have done it multiple times and have, are in other groups and do things, you're I I'm always weary of a first show like sure. of a group yeah because you you know you don't know how the voices are going to blend you don't know how you know taking one part out of something else is going to work versus you know the first thing I I knew of the nineteenth was like oh I did two oh one with Gab mm-hmm. she's funny she can do it. There's three members of the decoy. That was the that was the the mindset I was in. I was like, oh, there's three versus one. Like, yeah, you know that kind of like stupidity of mm-hmm. why? Why? First of all, like, why is there a splinter group? What's going on? Like, yeah, but that's so show. that's so funny because uh, other people have asked about that, and I I don't think that was even in our heads for the longest time. It was just like, oh, we're friends. Yeah, um, like Gab and I had worked together at Fit. And Shannon and I, I think we volunteered at the same time. Um, and Molly was in my up all night. So they mm. were all people that I had met prior to the decoy even being a thing. Okay. Uh, and to us, it just made so much sense. Like, oh, yeah, we're four people of roughly the same age and pretty much the same comedy style. Like, this is going to work out great. Um, and we we wanted to at least in the beginning, keep it to just ladies and see how it worked. Mm. Uh, and it's working pretty well. So I don't think we'll be adding any fellows anytime soon. Oh, darn. <laughs> don't need more guys in comedy. <laughs> um, okay. So am I missing anything? Like, am I missing any major projects that you've done? Like, is there any other like weird, like splinter uh, improv duo that you're a part of or? No, I'm not doing too much improv, although I would like to be doing more. Um, I think that's really it for the time being. I'm trying to find ways to perform more instead Mm. of writing and performing. Um, So I was in town. You're you're doing, okay, so you're in town, but like as we were talking about scheduling this, you're rehearsing for another musical? For a musical. What are you doing? I'm doing Legally Blonde the Musical. My nephew just did that in this high school. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, it's such a guilty pleasure show of mine. The last show that I was in was my junior year of college. Mm-hmm. And, oh, that was such a weird experience because I went into it. So you've you've completely, like, since doing the TV show in college, you've completely, like, neglected yeah. that first love of musical mm-hmm. live theater. For the, mm-hmm. well, I mean, live, uh, I don't want to say legitimate either, but, like, live long Long, long theater, form. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, have totally neglected it. The last, well, oh, honestly, oh God, no one hate me if you're listening to this, <laughs> but the shows that I did in college, the experience was just not mm. what I wanted out of that experience, and I started to think to myself, like, well, maybe I'm just, maybe I've just fallen out of love with this art form and maybe I, this is I've heard me. that from a lot of people that have done college theater and did st- yeah yeah like and worked in the theater department like actor majors acting minors for sure yeah I almost dropped my acting minor when I took um this mask class where we just <laughs> okay. wore masks and like didn't really talk the whole time I hated it so much um I was I was president of the theater group that I was a part of in college so I and I very deeply cared about that mm-hmm. but the productions I was in just so happened to like not blow me away um the first production I was in in college the mystery of Edwin Drood such a weird show that was a fun thing to be a part of but at the end of the day I was not proud of that show and that's for me more important than having fun um and then the second show I did in college was crazy for you which I was just miserable I was miserable outside of that show at that point in college but that that show, I just really there was almost nothing redeeming about it for me, um, and it was it was a great production. So it's not to knock that. It was just for me personally, yeah. what I got out of it was not what I had hoped. 
And then um, I took a semester off of doing shows. Oh, because I directed Little Shop of Horrors. I co-directed it with one of my best friends. And that was great. That was an incredibly rewarding experience. I loved directing. And I would love to do more of that. Um, And then I did... Uh, Bye Bye Birdie was the last show I did my the second half of who my, were you in Bye Bye Birdie oh I was a minor character yes. I was like some whore um <laughs> for my audition at that point I had just I was in a sorority I was doing bi-weekly show I was so busy that for my audition I walked in and I was like you know what I sound like when I sing so here are all <laughs> of my conflicts and if you cannot cast me in this production I understand but I would like to do it uh, and they called me up and they were like hey I know you said you just wanted to be in the ensemble because you have such an intense schedule but can we give you a bigger part than that I was like at your discretion uh, and it was it was a, a character that was in like maybe two scenes and she was again a funny part um, but not just a background singer not just a dancing town person right uh, so it was like a little spotlight and that was great but I very much went into that production in the most serendipitous of ways in my head being like this is probably the last musical I will ever do okay at age 20 20 You're already retired what the hell oh. shut up um <laughs> But that's where my mindset was at because I love I was addicted to the biweekly show and I was like, this is this is it. Um, And it it had the live performance aspect. It had the creation. It still had characters. I was able to like play bigger parts that were still funny Mm. uh, and get the laughs. And oh, there's just nothing more delicious than writing something and then delivering it and it getting a laugh and I was a I was hooked uh so I was like oh I'll never do musicals again um and then recently I was like what the hell was wrong with me I need to do a musical you can't retire at 20 (laughs) yeah it lasted my retirement lasted three years I'm out of retirement now I'm doing Legally Blonde uh and it's just so fun it's such a fun show to kind of dive back into Mm. there's tons of singing and dancing and ethnic movement no that's a quote from the show um and the acting is just so silly and fun it's just it's fantastic and it's it's been such a joy to work with this cast uh what's something that you've learned from comedy that you would pass on to someone else a new a new baby writer or new baby performer either and I always say, like, either a life lesson, like something really like, existential about the human condition, or just a practical piece of writing uh, advice. The most practical advice I have is cut your shit. <laughs> I cannot stand to watch a sketch in any form, live or on video, that goes on for way too long. Like, recognize what the joke is, get to it. And then move on to the next thing. Get out of there. Uh, And that was just, that was something I learned very quickly in college. And that was the biggest feedback I would give as executive producer to other writers. I would be like, this is too long and not funny based on what you pitched. Cut it in half. Get to it way sooner. Get out. And the audience is going to eat it up. (laughs) I promise the audience will enjoy it more if it's shorter. Leave them wanting more. It's better than making them bored <laughs> yeah that's a that's something I, i've fully learned and would definitely agree with yeah um yeah I, when i did iron sketch the first time i i present like a five-page sketch and he's like yeah i see what you're doing cut three page like <laughs> like i was like wait what <laughs> yeah it's also just such a good practice to write something really long and then challenge yourself to cut it uh, oh that's and i've never thought of doing that like i approach like purposely writing, like i've never uh. well not even on purpose but i will just word vomit onto a page and however long it lasts it lasts but then go back and just trim the hell out of it because i think it's more fruitful to get everything out right and then go back and take it back and it's i mean it's the sure. same way with performing every director ever says give me more and i'll tell you if you need to scale back and it's it should be approached writing wise the same way i think i think i like that as an exercise as like a writing exercise just like start with a 10 page draft and get it down i might have to try that yeah you exhaust every option and you figure out what you actually like it doesn't leave you wondering this is not to say i do this every single time no but i think it is a nice muscle to flex every once in a while of cutting something in half cutting it by a third you know like yeah getting a, rid of a chunk for 
for sure. This was also thing. heavily influenced by the best class I took in college was um, I was an English major. It was a writing class. Yeah. And for every single essay assignment or every single test, we had like, I think the most of a word limit we ever had was 500 words. We had a limit. So there were some homework Wait, what, assignments. That was the ceiling? Yes. Was 500? Yes. There were some homework yeah. assignments I turned in where the maximum you could write was 150 words. And if that's not an exercise on getting to the point and trimming your shit, yeah. I don't know what I had is. a similar similar like, experience in my, my senior year of high school. My, my high school English teacher didn't like, and I've heard people like all the time like say, oh, we had to write a, a minimum of a thousand. He was like, I don't care about that. Like get your stuff. Say it correctly, say it eloquently, and get out. Like, yeah, anyone can bullshit, but not anyone can get to the point yeah. efficiently and, yeah, really eloquently and get out. Uh, and I, because I remember, like, I think I found a box of, like, all those old essays. And, like, I was looking through, like, 530 words, because he did make his word count at the end, but, like, 530, 800 something. And, like, my friends were like, I had to write a 2,000-word essay on this. I was like, ugh, like. I'm sure 500 of those words were completely unnecessary. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that cut the... Yeah. Cut that advice. All right. Why do you do this? Why? Like, you're, you've are you been a theater kid. Why are you still doing comedy? Why is performing still a thing for you? Or writing and performing is still... This is going to sound strange, but makes sense. I love emotions uh and i oh gosh i was just watching an interview with audra mcdonald where she was talking about um if she could like go back and tell her nine-year-old self any advice at all she would just tell her like everyone's telling you that you're too emotional but that's there's nothing wrong with that that's okay and in fact that's what you need Mm -hmm. to be in this business And that really resonated with me because I was always a super emotional kid. Um, Even now I'm super emotional. Like I cried when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but like also who didn't? (laughs) Um, I just, I, I emote so much and to be able to do it in the confines of performing is so healthy and it really helps me in my own life be able to kind of work that out in a healthy way uh, rather than just like being a volcano of emotions that could explode at any second. Sure. Um, I think like a lot of people approach performing with this mindset of, okay, what, what can I tap into in myself to play this character? And I do that, but I also find myself doing the reverse of like as a human being how has playing that character or pretending to have okay. played that character influenced me and my emotional well-being? And I think I love writing because it's just very cathartic mm. to work all of that out. And I think a lot of my sketches are are very silly, but a lot of my sketches are really centered around emotions mm. and like just inappropriate timing for certain emotions or... Um, taking a certain scenario and tacking on these emotions to that that wouldn't necessarily make sense but are just so funny to watch play out Mm -hmm. and just exploring that both in my writing and performing is so fascinating to me and like there's just so many opportunities especially with creating my own work to tap into the emotions of so many different kinds of people who are just so different from how I am Mm -hmm. and I I just feel almost addicted to that and figuring out other characters and then seeing in turn how that influences me figuring myself out because I am a work in progress (laughs) because you're only 25 because I'm only 25 which felt like the end of the world when it happened (laughs) (laughs) yeah remember when you when you hit 30 Uh, (laughs) (laughs) thanks Carolyn Thank you so much for having me. No problem. You can see Carolyn perform her one-player show Thursday, February 8th at 7 p.m. at Philly Improv Theater. Then the decoy returns to the fit stage the first two weeks of March, and the 19th will play at the Bechtel Test Fest on Saturday, March 3rd, 
in the 10 p.m. block at Fringe Arts. You can also catch Carolyn in her return to musical theater when she performs in Legally Blonde at the Footlighters Theater in Berwyn in April and May. Go to footlighterstheater.com if you want more information. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at phlsketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like My First Sketch on Facebook. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. <laughs>